0: In the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. There is a clear theme for us to consider in our readings this morning. All the, all the readings, all three, have a clear theme running through them, and it's this, that we are the Lord's precious treasure, and that he chose us not because anything in us but purely out of his mercy toward sinners. So first, with our Old Testament lesson from Deuteronomy 7, as he's he's speaking of Israel, we can remember that Deuteronomy is occurring like toward the end of the wandering in the wilderness before they're finally entering into the promised land. And we can recall that Israel has been uh, less than faithful in their love toward God and in their actions. And yet God says of them, you are a people holy to the lord your god the lord your god has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth now we can recall that israel certainly didn't do anything to qualify as the lord's treasured possession by this point in deuteronomy there have been lots of grumbling complaining rejecting God, doubting, building idols, and even wandering away from him. And yet God says, you are holy, and you are chosen to be my treasure. Why? Because I'm God, he says, and I am merciful and loving, and I say so. So it's nothing in them, but it's purely because of him. This treasured possession, the people of Israel, were not a people based upon genetics. That's important for us to remember. It was a people based upon faith in the promised savior. And so we, as the New Testament Lord's Church, we are a part of that same people, Israel, a people not based upon bloodlines, but upon faith. The faith that we share and a savior jesus then speaks the same way of you and me in today's gospel reading from matthew 13 as jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had And bought it pretty straightforward you are treasure that he has joyfully given up all that he had so he could purchase you for himself now there are a few things for us to point out here in this text first the treasure in the field is you and me to be sure some might argue that the treasure in the field is actually Jesus or heaven or salvation And that makes sense, because we think we should should give up everything for Jesus, shouldn't we? What's, What's more important than heaven? Isn't it better to give up all that you have for Jesus? Isn't it better to lose all that you have on this earth, but still gain salvation? That's certainly true. That's what we should think about Jesus. And how we should prioritize our life but do we actually do it have you given up everything for God do you trust in him over all else or do you find yourself anxious and fearful not trusting in God as you should do you love him over all else Or does your sin expose that you actually love other things more? The fact is, we should give up all for him, but in our sin, we don't, do we? And if we could, if we could prioritize God in that way, we actually wouldn't need him to save us. We wouldn't need a savior. And besides, Isn't the gospel free? I think this is key here. Salvation is a gift. And so the treasure in the field can't be salvation because we can't give up anything for it. Instead, salvation is that God has given up everything for you. You are the treasure in the field. That's the first point. The second we should note that God buys the whole field. The treasure is only hidden in maybe one square foot of dirt, as we imagine a treasure chest buried there or something. But notice he doesn't just buy that, he goes and sells all that he has so he can buy not just that square foot, but the whole field. Which would include, if you can let your imagination run wild here, that field would have included maybe a pile of old tires, and some abandoned, rusty old lawnmower. You know how the litter, like the wind blows the trash against the fence on the side, it kind of builds up there amongst the weeds? All that's part of the property. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He bought the whole thing. And that matters, it's gonna really flesh this out more in my third point, but it matters that he buys the whole field Because if you and I were looking at it, as you and I are looking at that field and trying to pick out what the treasure might be, we might be defining treasure as something different than God is defining treasure. He knows what the treasure looks like. We're gonna define the treasure on our own terms, but he is the one who assigns the value. And that's the third point. The value of the treasure is not necessarily obvious in the treasure itself. You, couldn't, you, you can't see this inherent value by looking at the treasure. The treasure is valuable, not because it looks valuable or because it feels valuable, but the value of the treasure is only and fully based upon what was paid to get it. Isn't that how all things are valued? For example, gold is just metal. You notice you can't really eat it when you're hungry or wear it when you're cold. It doesn't do much good practically, but it's worth a lot only because people will pay a lot for it. So it is with you and me. We are valuable treasure to God, not because we have value in ourselves, but because he was willing to give up his son for us. And this can't be emphasized enough these days. The world is screaming that your value is based upon what group or class you belong to or associate with. Or we might be tempted to think that our value is based upon what we do, our job, or our output in our jobs. And so if you find yourself jobless, for some reason, or you don't have the output that is expected of you, you could lose your sense of self-worth, or think yourself worthless. Or we might be tempted to think that our value is based upon what others think about us, or how many friends we have virtual or otherwise. Your value is not determined by a spouse who might fail to love you as he or she should. Your value is not determined by your friends or lack of them, nor is your value determined by this downward spiraling world. You are valuable because he gave up his all for you. You should note here that babies in the womb, the elderly on the hospital bed, or anyone that the world might deem worthless because their output isn't what they expect. They are worth all to God, created in His image and died for by Jesus. He determines value, not you, me, and certainly not the world. Now, there will be times in this life that you might not feel valuable. You might sometimes feel like that abandoned car tire in the field. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about in our epistle reading today from Romans 8. In short, he says there will be suffering and trials in this life, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that he doesn't exist. And I'll be unfolding this significantly more in Bible study today, so stick around. i mean, I make you a deal. The sermon could be 20 or 30 minutes longer, or just stick around for Bible study and we'll unfold more of how we understand suffering in the Christian life. The Lord knows that our suffering will cause us to doubt, which is exactly why Paul says what he says in Romans 8. He anticipates our doubt as he says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. All includes the hard times, the suffering, and the trials, the things that we can't possibly understand as good. He says, all work together for good for you. And how can that be? Well, he goes on, verse 31. If God is for you, who can be against you? God is for you. When the creator of the universe has your back, what enemy can possibly overcome you? No matter how great the enemy, the worst they could ever do is hurt your body which God is gonna raise up eternally anyway. God is for you, working all things toward your good, even if it's the eternal good of calling you to himself through death. And isn't that the greatest good, to be with him eternally? Paul continues in verse 33, who shall bring any charge against us? Who can condemn us? Because the devil will bring his charges into your conscience and condemn you and rob you of peace, saying, your sin is too great to be saved. Your life is not clean enough to be redeemed. Your faith isn't strong enough. Your zeal isn't sincere enough. You, you, you. But it's not about you. It is God who justifies, says Paul, verse 33. It's God who declares you righteous because of Jesus, which is what justify means, to look at you and say you are righteous, not because in yourself, but because of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus died and rose, so it's a done deal. Finally, Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Note the list of hypotheticals here. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Will these things, or anything like these things, separate us from the love of Christ? When we face tribulation, danger, sickness, or death itself, there will be temptation for us to doubt God's love for us because we think If God loved me, I wouldn't be facing these things. But that's not what he says. This is not a list of things that we would avoid if we only loved God more, if he loved us more. Rather, he gives us a list of things that we are likely to face in this life, that he even expects us to face in this world. But he wants us to know that when, not if, but when suffering comes, It is not a sign that he doesn't love you he expects our doubt he anticipates it and he comes running to help us none of these things mean God doesn't love you neither death nor life evil rulers in this world assaults by the devil things we face in the present things we might face in the future or anything in all creation Paul says will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. He wants you sure that his love for you is not in question when suffering comes. You might at times feel like an abandoned car tire in the field, but your feelings don't determine your value. What matters is what he paid for you, and what he says about you. God gave his son for you, so his love for you is never in question, regardless of what you might face in this life. He gave his all for you and calls you his treasure. You are worth everything to God, he is for you. Nothing can separate you from his love. And even now, all things work together toward your good. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.